Well, before I begin my message this morning, uh, let me introduce myself. I know Pastor Campbell did earlier. I am Chaplain Glover, Graham Glover, an active duty Army chaplain, uh, currently stationed at a five-sided building with 25,000 of my not-so-closest friends called the Pentagon. Been in the Army for 10 and a half years, and uh, we've been here since September in the area. And a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Campbell called and said, hey, Graham, Pastor Meehan and I are going to be out of town for the Southern District Convention, Southeastern District Convention. Would you mind preaching? Hey, Braun, stop asking. I got it, right? Uh, because I don't have soldiers these days. I don't have a parish, a congregation, a battalion of my own. And so these opportunities don't come along. And uh, when they do, I jump at them. And so I thank uh, your pastors and I thank you all for giving me the privilege to stand in this pulpit and to proclaim God's word to you this morning. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to each of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message this morning, this seventh and final Sunday of Easter, comes to us from the gospel lesson that we just heard, the 17th chapter of St. John. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of being assigned to a unit in Columbus, Georgia. For those of you who don't know where Columbus is, it's mid-state Georgia, right on the Alabama border little place called Fort Benning. And for three years I lived or I worked at a place they call Sand Hill. I was a battalion chaplain to the 198th Infantry Training Brigade, which meant that I had the opportunity to watch young men get off the bus literally from day one and spend the next 14 weeks of their lives training to become infantrymen in the United States Army. And what a sight it was to behold. Probably the most incredible part of that training was watching the drill sergeants go to work on these young men. And if any of you don't have experience with the military, any movie you've seen with the guys with the round hats, every stereotype that you perceive is really pretty accurate. These guys are hard on the trainees, and hard they should be. We're not training them to become bankers. We're not training them to become carpenters. We are training them to become infantrymen in the world's most lethal fighting machine. And these guys spend 14 weeks hard at work. They're stripped of what you and I have come to know as probably our fifth appendage, right, our, our third arm. There's, there's no cell phone they get to carry. They don't get to watch TV during these 14 weeks. There's no computer or laptop in front of them. It's 14 weeks of very rigorous training, outside, physically demanding, emotionally draining, and probably the most difficult 14 weeks of their young lives. It is hard, it is transformative, but I think most of them to a T would say it is absolutely worth it. For me, one of the highlights at the end of this training was watching the culmination of it come together in what could just best be described as three different graduation ceremonies. The first would take place just a few days before they would leave Sand Hill, and they would spend about a week out in the woods doing what infantrymen do best, sleeping very little and training with only a rucksack on their back. And that would culminate in about a 12-mile road march with this 50-pound rucksack on their back to a place called Honor Hill. And they would arrive there having slept very little for almost a week, physically exhausted, 
in the wee hours of the morning, and at that first ceremony, the drill sergeants would place upon their lapel the coveted cross rifles, the first mark of being an infantryman. The next day, typically, they would gather for their first ceremony in public. Oftentimes, mom and dad would be there, wives, girlfriends, grandparents, aunts, uncles, sometimes kids if they had them, and they would come and place upon their right shoulder the blue cord, again, marking them as an infantryman. And then the following day, we would go across Fort Benning to the National Infantry Museum, the field that resides there, which had been made with soil from all of the great battles in which our nation has fought in. And I would watch these men come marching across the field, cross rifles upon their lapel, a blue cord around their right shoulder. And at that point, they would graduate and take their place in our nation's army. And prior to these three graduation ceremonies, oftentimes the young soldiers, the young infantrymen would ask me, Chaplain, we've done it. 14 weeks of training, 14 weeks of hard work, but now what? What comes next? Well, here we are, you and I, seven weeks after the celebration of Easter, seven weeks after this great triumphant day in the church's calendar, even longer since <coughs> Ash Wednesday began. Several months you and I have been going through our own type of training, our own spiritual training, if you will. Perhaps during the season of Lent, you made a sacrifice of your own, giving something up that was near and dear to you as you prepared for the joy of Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Perhaps you took on an additional devotional time or a, an additional devotional exercise, either with yourself or with your family. Maybe you gave up or you gave something more to the church, to those in need. I hope that your Lenten preparation was hard. I hope that it was spiritually transformative. And I know that beginning on Holy Thursday when we came into this place and were reminded again of that great gift of the Holy Supper, culminating on Good Friday as we looked and remembered about the, the death of our Lord, topped off by the Easter Vigil and then Easter Sunday, that you would say after weeks of spiritual preparation that it was absolutely worth it. Worth it to say what we did at the beginning of the service, Alleluia, Christ is risen. But now here we are on the 13th of May, almost three months since Ash Wednesday. We have trained our souls. We have prepared our bodies. And now sometimes we ask the question at the end of Easter, now what? What's next? Well, for the infantrymen, there isn't really any time to rest. You know as well as I that our nation has been in war for 17 consecutive years. For 17 years, the men that leave Sand Hill after raising their right hand and spending 14 weeks of training, they don't get to rest on their laurels. They don't get to say, yay me, look at what I've accomplished. Because for 17 straight years, our nation has said, get ready, we are at war. They have to be ready at all time. 
because our enemies are ready. Our enemies are ready to seize on any and all of our nation's weaknesses, which is precisely why the infantryman must be ready to do his job from day one. I might say to you this morning that we don't get to rest either. You might be tired after all of that Lenten preparation. You might be drained with joy, <coughs> excuse me, after seven weeks of Easter celebration. But as Jesus reminds us in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of St. John this morning, saying to God the Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And then Jesus says to the Father, keep them, keep us from the evil one. In other words, my dear friends, although we have trained our souls, although we have looked forward with great anticipation to Easter, and despite the fact that we have spent seven weeks rejoicing in the great triumph of our Lord over death and damnation, today you and I must remain ever vigilant. We must remain ready. Because as Jesus reminds us in the gospel lesson this morning, the evil one is ready. The evil one is ready to seize on any and all of our weaknesses. He is ready to exploit our sin. He is ready to put decadence in front of our faith, face. He is ready to ridicule us for believing and confessing the things that we do. And Jesus knows this all too well. And he prays today that we would be able to defeat this evil one. Now to my infantrymen, there was never any question what they would do after graduating. When asked what next, the answer was always train and train harder. Train your body beginning in the morning with a rigorous PT regiment. Train your mind by learning the skills necessary for what it means to be a soldier in today's army. Train your soul by calling that guy they call chaplain who's in your unit. Always have your weapon ready and trained to use it to combat whatever the enemy might throw at you. Train daily, we say to them. Train hard and train without ceasing. And this is our call this morning. We are called today to train our body. We are called to train our mind. We are called, as you might expect, to train our soul. We are called to have our weapons ready to combat the evil one, to train daily, to train hard, and to train without ceasing. But the question sometimes we then ask is how do we train? And what do we train with? What do we need to combat this evil one? Well, Jesus gives us that answer in the, his prayer this morning. He says, Father, I have given these your children your word. And he says, sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth because, Father, your word is truth. For their sake, he says, I consecrate myself 
that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The answer is that we train with the truth of God. We train with the Word of God. It's why I reminded the children when they came up that the very thing that we come to this place week in and week out for is Jesus. We don't find Jesus at the grocery store. We don't find him by looking at a beautiful sunset. We don't find him as much as I'd love to find him on a golf course hitting a little ball around. We find him here where he gives us his gift, his gift of word and sacrament, his gift that we need each and every day of our lives. Last night before the joy service began, your pastors were on their way back from the Southeastern Convention, District Convention, and I asked forgiveness to the congregation before the service. I said, well, I'm obviously not a member here. I've not seen the joy service take place, so forgive me if I don't quite get it right, but more so forgive me if I was a little melancholy, a little sad in the face. I say that because last night or yesterday before the service, my family received word that my 92-year-old grandmother's health was rapidly failing. At one o'clock this morning, my 92-year-old grandmother went to sleep in the Lord. And this has hit us like a ton of bricks. My grandmother, who saw the death of her own husband, who saw the death of all three of her children, my father included, my grandmother, who quite literally has been the rock of faith for me, my brother, my sister, my children, and her other great-grandchildren for my entire life. But I couldn't help but think about the message this morning as we sang our opening hymn. If you want to look on the back page of the bulletin to be reminded, I speak so pointedly to what the message of Jesus in his high priestly prayer is this morning. The second verse rings out, Alleluia, Christ is risen, death at last has met defeat. See the ancient powers of evil in confusion and retreat. My grandmother sleeps this morning with her Savior, not because of something that she brought to the Lord, but because she, like you, has been brought to the waters of holy baptism and made right in the Word of God that we find hope today in my grandmother's death, not because she was a sainted figure or lived a righteous life, but because she, like you, came to houses of worship like this to hear the Word of God proclaimed, to confess her sins and to receive that holy absolution. My grandmother finds hope today, not in what she did in this world, but what in her Savior did on the cross and offered for her week in and week out and his body and blood given for her at the sacrament of the altar. The ancient powers of evil are confused and are in retreat because she, like us, had the word of truth. She, like us, was made righteous by the truth of God's word. She, like us, found hope in the risen Savior. Before graduating from Sand Hill at Fort Benning, all the infantrymen are told by their drill sergeants that from this day forward, 
they are forever marked as an infantryman in the United States Army. That that will define so much of who these young men are, not only on that day, but in the days ahead. That they are to wear their cross rifles in their blue cord with pride, always ready to defeat the enemies of our nation. Well, I don't look out today and see, I don't think, any infantrymen wearing cross rifles and blue cords. I'm not here to recruit you. I think a couple of you might just be a little bit too old. <laughs> For those of you that are young, perhaps we can chat afterwards. But what I am here to remind you, as each you hear, I'm certain, every week from this pulpit, is that you have been made righteous by the Word of God. That you have been given the truth that you need to look death in the face that you have all of the weapons necessary to combat the evil one in this world. You, my friends, are children of God, and this Christ Jesus forgives you and gives you all the strength and power you need today and forevermore to defeat the power of the evil one. May this hope, may this comfort, and may this Easter joy be with you today and forevermore. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.